Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2023, the year of the rabbit. I hope it's been good to you so far. Uh, this is our first uh, podcast episode of 2023, and here we're talking with Alex Brown. Now, this year, for the podcast uh, intro and outro music, uh, last year we had the amazing Hannah Victoria's original tracks, and this year we have the amazing Casey Bean of the Bean Pod uh, with his original track, Don't Ever Change. And I think this song really, for me, captured a lot of our positive parts of our online community in 2022. And I hope you enjoy hearing it at the beginning and the end of each podcast uh, this year, 2023. Now, Alex Brown is marketing assistant at Tokyo-esque uh, Japan Market Entry uh, Consulting Company based in the UK, Netherlands. And he has some interesting ideas here in our discussion about uh, the need for localization, especially for the Japan market, and some ideas that they use uh, to help international brands find a foothold and more success in the Japanese market uh, for their products and services. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Of course, as always, please feel free to share and comment and like. I love hearing from audience about uh, your take and ideas that you have. And of course, as we go into another year of talks and podcasts, I would love to hear your suggestions on topics that you you think we should cover or people that you think I should reach out to and try to have on the show. Hi everyone and welcome. Happy New Year. It is 2023 and this is the first Seek Sustainable Live talk show of this year. Happy Year of the Bunny. Thank you so much for joining Alex. Mm, yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to have you here. So today we have Alex Brown all the way in Scotland today, right, Alex? About if you give us a little introduction about yourself. You lived in Japan for a while. You said you were working and studying in Kyoto. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, my name is Alex Brown, as everyone knows. Um, uh, I... Um, I, my background is in kind of Japanese studies um, and a little bit of linguistics. Um, so I studied a uh, four-year master's at the University of Edinburgh, and I spent one year of that uh, living in Kyoto uh, and studying at Dojiji University. Um, and I also, um, I was lucky enough to be able to work at a traditional ryokan in Kyoto called um, Iziyasu, where I kind of, um, yeah, helped out with... Um, all around sort of things like preparation of food and yeah just general front of house duties uh, and, and kind of kitchen duties then kind of since then uh i had a small stint as a freelance manga translator which i'm kind of trying to keep up as i go and um in may of uh 2022 i joined tokyo-esque and now we're here today great that's awesome uh can you tell us a little bit about uh, Natalie Meyer, the CEO and founder, and why she started Tokyo-esque. It sounds like she 
grew up in Silicon Valley in the States. She lived in London. Uh, she knew Japan very well. Can you tell us a little bit about how she felt? Natalie, um, she has quite kind of a, a very international background. As you said, she grew up in Silicon Valley. And then um, uh, she studied in um, Washington, but then also in, uh, yep, as you can see, yeah. Um, yeah, she was educated in Washington, Tokyo, and London, um, uh, doing her master's in London. And um, yeah, basically it's, uh, this kind of sense of uh, cultural neutrality, as it's put there, um, that I think kind of makes up Tokyo-esque's core, um, because we're a very kind of multicultural, uh, international team. We're kind of based all over, really, in in Tokyo and well, uh, sorry, not Tokyo, but Osaka, uh, London, um, and in Amsterdam, and also up in Scotland, oddly enough. Um, but yeah, um, and I think I think sort of. What you could say the um, the kickoff point or the the origin even for for Natalie's decision to make Tokyo esque is she found herself kind of being approached by people um, who were needing kind of very kind of global knowledge. You know, they were needing sort of um, very kind of region specific knowledge um, in uh, like Japan and in Europe um, and basically that's kind of Tokyo-esque's um, uh, sort of mission to to kind of provide this kind of like global connection and um, and uh, sort of yeah globalized knowledge really um, yeah. we're gonna talk about a few of the examples in a little bit of uh, some of the businesses that you've helped to get that localized, and connectivity and market research to help them expand their businesses or to enter the Japanese market. Uh, in general, what would you say is one of the big hurdles for international businesses trying to enter Japan's market? Well, I think um, obviously there are many things, but I think a lack of cultural knowledge is something that's definitely, definitely easily overlooked. Um, because fundamentally you can, you can kind of know how things work in one country or how you can know how consumers maybe operate in one country or, or even in an area of a country. Um, but things need to be localized as different things resonate with different consumers. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, um, it, it's, a common pitfall for uh, companies to try and kind of replicate the success that they've had in in one country um, by using the same essentially the same strategy in another, um, which obviously won't kind of resonate in the same way with uh, with another audience. Um, yeah, because of all the kind of cultural differences and, and everything involved. Um, yeah, it's it's not just a language problem. Oh, absolutely is it? not. Yeah, it's. It's much more about uh, culture and uh, being able to communicate. Not even just translation is going to work, right? Yeah. You really have to find ways to localize and connect with the local people in a way that, that works for them and how they, they need to accept the message, right? Absolutely, yeah. And 
I think I think that's something which I, uh, I so I learned I learned the importance of localization and essentially the difference between localization and translation um, in university. But it really kind of got drilled into me when I was doing my manga translation job um, because um, essentially just translating isn't or just translating text and such isn't enough. You need to translate cultural concepts that's kind of what i consider localization to be not just cultural concepts but um yeah adapting um how you convey things or or kind of translating like the, the concepts that you want to convey to people the image or maybe um how you want to get like which reaction out of, out of people um uh, yeah, so so I think I think kind of the manga translations been really informative I think for me in coming into Tokyo esque because yeah it, it's kind of it's all localization really it's it's um it's kind of a similar a similar vein. That was one of the examples I thought was so interesting on the Tokyo esque website is about um, how anime is used in advertising mm. in one of your your innovative insight articles um working in the the manga anime uh, industry you might have a insight on that yeah yeah i mean i mean um i i found this really interesting as well kind of this uh this gucci advert um using miley cyrus in in kind of you know a kind of manga slash anime type style to appeal better to to japanese consumers um yeah i mean because um, while while anime and manga and such are are becoming like significantly more popular, particularly among the younger generation um, in the West, um, yeah, um, essentially you you need to you need to make what you're kind of trying to convey to people resonate with them and actually speak to them and kind of garner their interest. So. So this was a great way, I think, in particular, of of kind of grabbing people. Um, although Gucci obviously has <clears throat> a lot of standing popularity um, in Japan, anyway. Um, I think it, it it would be very novel for um, Japanese consumers to see this foreign brand um, kind of making that effort to connect with them uh, and kind of speak to them directly. Um, yeah. Mm. That was such an interesting example, and I, I'd never thought of that. Like you often see that with Japanese brands, but why not with foreign brands as well who are trying to enter the market? Yeah, and like you said, kind of uh, show that you respect the the local anime or manga culture by using that genre as a way to do your PR and advertising and kind of awareness campaign as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because um, I mean that kind of localization or localization in general um helps businesses speak to uh their you know kind of foreign potential consumer base and if you can't speak to your consumer base then you're not going to connect with them and you're not really going to be able to thrive so much um but yeah so it's through strategies like that i think that um you can really you can really start to what say 
uh, not that Gucci needs to be ingrained, but you can really start to kind of ingrain yourself um, in in you know a new market and and really get some you know positive engagement um, from people. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, now you also do consulting and helping Japanese companies also get perspective in the UK or outside of Japan. Uh, there was an interesting example that you had on your website about. Mitsui Fudosan, so a real estate company in Japan, thinking about future developments, maybe in Tokyo in the future. So they wanted you to do some research in the UK uh, in different areas where they have a good social connectivity, it sounded like. Yeah. Um, can mm -hmm. you talk about this project a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So um, on this particular one, we did um, on the ground research. Um, one of the benefits of um, of being quite, you know, quite a lots of spread around company. Um, we have people based in lots of different locales. So um, some of our our um, uh, people in London were able to go and do kind of on the ground research, kind of taking pictures and and really checking out these sort of like interesting new developments in London. Um, specifically with the mind to um, sustainability uh and and i think kind of wellness in general because there's a lot of we're, we are seeing a lot of intrigue from japanese clients like mitsui um surrounding kind of um yeah interesting like foreign um sustainable development um and also kind of wellness solutions um so yeah so in, in that case, for example, it's kind of like we looked at, you know, certain spaces which functioned basically to on the side of wellness to get people uh, involved with their communities, um, uh, kind of actually get them out and and kind of just kind of help essentially initiatives that help to kind of revitalize slash give some energy to to the community. And then also at the same time, um, the developments themselves um, have um, are generally ones that's kind of you know very good um, sort of um, uh, so sorry what's it called um, how can I possibly forgot this term but sorry, circle of economy <laughs> circular <laughs> economy circular yeah economy. yeah I'm so sorry how can I possibly forgotten that but yeah yeah they have a kind of um, circular economy going so yeah um, I mean my my kind of thinking on this is maybe the reason that we're seeing so much so much kind of added interest from um Japanese clients um kind of Japanese developers um like this specifically surrounding wellness and sustainability is um because we actually have this kind of going um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later but going the other way as well we have um uh companies in Europe uh looking to Japan for um knowledge of how they can improve their own solutions but um i think kind of japanese companies are growingly looking to gain kind of inspiration or knowledge of what kind of oh, global like awareness um one of our taglines globally I, I thought it, it might be connected um to the development of smart cities yeah. in japan because there's Panasonic, there's Toyota, mm -hmm. there's a lot of big money and big investment in time and energy and talent from abroad 
in developing these cities of the future. And so I thought that might be a really interesting reason some real estate developers or big companies in Japan are looking at examples of these community communities which are including people who are elderly for example mm. or who are creating good infrastructure for younger people uh maybe yeah. it's a much easier place to live if you want to use a bicycle right mm -hmm. um you guys are also set up in the netherlands so when we're talking about bicycle culture uh, Japan has a lot to learn from the Netherlands, like all of us around the world, yeah. about how to create a good bicycle infrastructure, that kind of thing, right? Mm. Um, yeah, we have a wee, a wee comment. It's like an important research for evaluating values to investment by like the perspective of single. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I mean, yeah, like um, sustainability obviously isn't, um, isn't an issue that the world can afford to ignore um but at the same time of course um you know companies are seeking like profitability um because if you want something to be like financially sustainable as well as uh, sustainable for the planet um so that it can continue to be good um you need to kind of really consider okay what are other people um doing kind of what are other, what kind of solutions are there countries putting in um uh yeah i'm so sorry uh as you as you were saying there um uh joy what, what was your question again i'm so sorry <laughs> no no that's fine that perfectly fits in well because i think one of the things that uh natalie often talks about is globalization mm. and the need for us all to consider ourselves global citizens uh, whether we're in Japan, we're in uh, UK, whether we're in Netherlands, right? Mm. Um, we all have things to learn from each other, definitely. Absolutely. Um, sorry, I've just remembered you were saying about um, specifically about like bicycle infrastructure. Um, so for for in another report we did for um, for a big um, kind of Japanese real estate developer, uh, we were specifically looking at. Um, um it, kind of similar to the Mitsui Fido song we were looking at um developments which have changed um changed the way in which say people interact with their environments and um, maybe have a kind of you know sustainable edge to them and are are drawing the kind of younger generation and specifically in in Camden um you have to forgive me. I've managed to forget the name of the uh, the specific development. Um, but yeah, there there was a development um, in which basically, um, um, or sorry, <laughs> multiple developments really. But Camden has has turned into a like one of the most kind of um, like bike friendly places uh, in the UK, um, possibly the most bike friendly place um, because um, basically. With the coming of uh, the COVID nineteen nineteen pandemic, there's been a lot of change to London infrastructure, um, specifically in a good direction for sustainability. Because, oh, forgive me for going into details a wee bit here, but um, um, due to COVID restrictions on kind of distancing, um, they weren't able to kind of you know, well, we had to they had to restrict essentially the number of people that could go on the subways. So they started to look to other solutions and even considering what say buses, um, still too packed. So there was a lot of push for kind of um, like rental bikes and free use bikes. 
And resultantly, we've had this kind of explosion of um, public um, like cyclable spaces, kind of new bike lanes, and actually also like pedestrian areas as well, kind of widening of, of pathways. Um, so I think, I think yeah, the, the coronavirus pandemic has, has done a lot to essentially make cities more walkable. And I think that's very connected to, to you know, like human wellness. Um, Absolutely. Live, livability and uh, easy for visitors as well as residents mm -hmm. is a huge yeah. asset for communities. Um, that's one of the things I love about being in Hiroshima. It's such an easy city to walk around. Uh, we also have great public transport. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. most of Japan is really well connected um, in the cities, but a lot of the rural areas do lack uh, public transport. But there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are setting up, you know, like bicycle tours or hiking tours. Um, there's a lot of innovation there as well. Mm. It's, it's just it's, it's like we said before, there's so much you can learn from all over the place and apply it to Japan or apply ideas from Japan to other places. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite uh, examples in Tokyo is in Ginza, they closed down the main street for um like every i maybe maybe it's every sunday i wish i want to say it's every sunday um but they pedestrianized that main shopping street area and they let people sit in the middle of the street on tables and enjoy the big open space between the sides of the street and it really encourages people to go and enjoy that area without all the cars going through. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the ideas we could apply all over Japan, if not in the UK and other places as well, right? Absolutely. Um <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry. I think um yeah, the UK, um, from from what I've seen, um, has had a fair boom in like pedestrianization of cities. Um has even quite quite close to home in Glasgow, um, the main George Square, um, like certain kind of streets going along it have been cut off and kind of just open to pedestrians. And as a result, just there are a lot more people out and interacting with those spaces. And it just encourages people to, I think this is particularly important in, in the wake of, you know, COVID when people were stuck at home and not able to, um, you know, maybe communicate with others as, as much. Um, it's great to see spaces kind of facilitating <clears throat> more human interaction and more actually kind of getting out and, and talking to people and, you know, being in the city, which of course is good for business in terms of footfall as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's good for businesses. Uh, people feel more comfortable if there's more open spaces, uh, less stress if you're not crowded all the time yeah. if you don't have to use crowded buses and trains as well right mm. uh, let's talk about some of the interesting examples of uh, British companies or European companies that you have helped uh, to localize as they went into the Japanese market I was really interested in the company Huel that uh, you helped to localize in Japan's market because this is one of the exciting things that I'm seeing from the international travelers who are coming to Japan as well is a lot more international travelers are bringing in demand for sustainable products and services. Mm. And one of the 
them bringing demand is plant-based. So I was really excited to see that Huel is a sports kind of health food company. Um, everything is completely plant-based. Mm -hmm. And uh, although their Japanese site at the moment, it's only the shakes that they have, but you can see on their Japanese site that they're talking about sustainability. They're talking about how their ingredients are more sustainable. Mm. They're talking about health and plant-based. A lot of people still have the image that you have to eat meat if you're going to be strong and fit, right? Mm. Um, they're also talking about vegan, you know? So you get the feeling that a lot of the uh, more sustainable-minded uh, companies who are already doing products which are plant-based or more sustainable focused, they have uh, a good appeal in Japan if they can kind of leverage it or communicate it in the right way. And that's where you guys can help, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, as you say, kind of <clears throat> like leveraging it and um, communicating it in the right way because um there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of buzz around sustainability in japan um specifically you know the younger generation um are are getting more and more kind of involved with it they're more educated on it as well with you know kind of sdgs and stuff and such um being taught in high schools and everything um so yeah essentially uh through our work um you know we've been providing kind of um, localization in terms of like website design, and, you know, um, packaging. And then also, um, we've been kind of, um, trying to help them understand Japanese consumer attitudes towards, um, like say recycling, um, and, um, and other kind of, you know, circular economy related, uh, issues. Um, but yeah, I think, um, absolutely it's, it's, it's it's very key for for them um you know to um to keep interacting with or sorry keep becoming kind of more aware um of uh of how to best speak to your japanese audience um yeah because i think um japan is definitely definitely very kind of primed to interact with that sort of conversation uh they are interested in that conversation you just need to find the right angle yeah, yeah. but it is a very frustrating place for people to live and visit if they're trying to be plant-based at the moment so that's where the imports of international brands which are cool and which are already established abroad they can really help to accelerate mm -hmm. the changes that we see in Japan as well, which is very positive. Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're definitely right. Um, yeah, because I suppose currently when I think of vegan food in Japan, I think like you know shojin yori, like the kind of Buddhist type, which <laughs> yeah. I, I do very much like. You were in Kyoto. You were in Kyoto. Um, but it is, it is very hard to get, you know, and even in Kyoto, like you did this great article on Tokyo S mm. about vegetarianism and veganism in Japan, uh, why vegan products should be in Japan now and how there is real potential for demand, I think, in Japan. And I think you guys were, were really on point there. Mm. Um it is, it is a challenge. And I, I keep meeting Japanese people as well as international people 
who are searching for it and it's just not really available as easily as it should be now. Yeah. I think we expected the 2020 Olympics was going to be a big boom because everybody was going to come, but because of COVID and not that many people actually could come, um, it wasn't the big change that we expected, but I, I feel that 2023 is going to, now that the gates are open, yeah, we're seeing more international travelers. We're going to see more um, brands offering more plant-based, vegetarian, vegan options. Uh, we, we have some big chains that are, are starting to do it in Japan as well. But yeah, there's still a bit of a gap in terms of uh, the, the options that you have abroad and the, the options when you come to Japan, that's for sure. <clears throat> I think you're, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, especially kind of, um, especially with when you mentioned that, you know, obviously there, there are lots of, um, like, you know, Japanese people for whom this is, this is a real kind of pain point, not being able to find, um, the vegan products that they need, um, uh, or even sometimes, ve sometimes vegetarian alternatives. Um, so it's definitely not, um, it's not, you know, just a foreigners in Japan kind of thing, um, or just a kind of accommodating tourist type thing. Although, um, that kind of foreign audience can definitely, uh, help to accelerate things. Um, because, yeah. Isn't, isn't that funny? Because I'm American. Uh, for years in Japan, people would be like, oh, you're American. Uh, here's our burger or, oh, we have steak. And you'd be like, no, I'm a vegetarian. So then you have this big gap in understanding. Now, as an international visitor, they're like, oh, do you want to see the vegetarian menu? Hmm. <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> good change. That's a good change. Um, one other thing that I really like about Huel before we move on is they're branding, they're using reusable straws. Hmm. They're using, you know, like, Sometimes you'll see a, a vegan, vegetarian, a more sustainable product in Japan, but they're still in plastic, right? Or there's still, there's just something not quite sustainable about what kind of messaging they're doing. Yeah. Um, but when you look at Huel's social media, yeah, they're just, they're not even pointing it out. They're just using reusable straws. They're using reusable things. Yeah. They're using plant-based things. You know, it's just part of, it's embedded. Mm -hmm. in their brand i i'm excited to see how they how you guys help them uh translate that and adapt that to uh attract the japanese market mm. that'll be cool i think um what you're saying there sorry about <clears throat> about huel kind of you know just using it or just using kind of fully sustainable um uh like materials and such um just like it's you know like it's nothing like it's completely a given um is, is is great because i think japanese consumers would kind of appreciate that sort of um what say like wholesomeness of of the brand of the kind of brand image um it's a kind of yeah it's just very sort of i don't know i think it lends them legitimacy to be so consistent and i think that would be a real strength for them yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, Pufferfish, which is based in Scotland, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, they it sounded like on your website they were having trouble uh, really getting traction in the Japanese market. And you were able to help them connect with the right kind of organizations so that they could really um, start to 
get support for their products. I, it sounds like they do educational products, displays, and uh, finding the right kind of museum, for example, was was probably difficult. Um, so using a company like yours, which helps them connect and localize, must have really been an asset for them. Can you say anything about this one? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so so that's kind of that's an example of our uh, connect stage. Um, so. <clears throat> <clears throat> so at Tokyo S, we kind of we kind of advocate for um, not just the three-step process, but a kind of circular three-step process of market research, connecting, and then localization. So the connect stage is all about kind of building these um these partnerships and you know connections, as is in the word. Um, to kind of really get you you sort of rooted and um established in in your target market and um i think that's what we were able to to really deliver for for pufferfish kind of giving or helping well not sorry kind of finding them those connections and you know maybe that dis distribution um which is so hard to find if you're uh, a foreign company trying to navigate, uh, you know, an unknown market, um, often, you know, without actually maybe being there in person or anything like that. So, so I think that's sort of one of the one of the strengths that we provided them. Um, yeah, great. I'm I'm sure they really appreciated that, and I I would love to see them connected to museums like the Hiroshima peace memorial museum mm -hmm. there's a lot of interactive displays yeah. that they have connecting kids a lot of kids visit the museum to learn about the nuclear attack on hiroshima in 1945 but also more present day information like where is radiation happening right now around the world uh where are the nuclear arms threats around the world those kinds of things it seems like Pufferfish does those kinds of interactive educational displays. So I'd, I'd love for you to connect them to, to us in Hiroshima, see if we can get them in the museum there. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how relevant it is to mention this just now, but um, I've, I've been to Hiroshima. I, I did a little traveling while I was, uh, while I was in Japan. And yeah, it was, it was um, unlike anything I'd sort of ever seen really kind of the just the gravity of everything i think um the um what they have what they have existing is absolutely wonderful but as you say you know it would be great to have kind of more maybe interactive displays that like the younger generation could get involved in and i suppose it would allow for as you said like kind of these maybe like live updates or well, not live updates but kind of changing information for like a changing world um yeah, because unfortunately, the nuclear threat is still out there around the world, right? And uh, so Hiroshima has that great role of being the city of peace and and trying to support anti-nuclear movements around the world. Um, so yeah, working with international organizations to make things more interactive, especially for younger generation, that could be really exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It would be really meaningful as well. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I'm glad that you visited Hiroshima. I hope you didn't just go to Peace Park 
or just go to Miyajima. So that's something that I'm always trying to support and promote is please stay longer. There's lots to see in Hiroshima. It's not just the Peace Park in Miyajima. Mm. Uh, we have a lot more here to see and enjoy. Yeah. Definitely spend more time. <laughs> yeah, because um, if I'm if I'm right, um, sorry, I've seen some of your your prior episodes, but am I right? Um, in thinking you're you're sort of an advocate for seeing the kind of the road less traveled in uh, Japan, these sort of like um spots which aren't necessarily massively famous, but really give you a sense of the culture you're in and the people. Um, because I think that's I think that's kind of a shared passion then, because um. That's what I tried to do when I was traveling in Japan. What I always find when I'm traveling is I'm I'm more interested in the people than I am the maybe monuments. Um, yeah, so I I think obviously it's um it's so worthwhile to go and see uh, the the peace park. Um, absolutely, so that's definitely worth it. But um, I think it's great to kind of you know I say I went to Fukuoka. My my best experience was just chatting with fishermen by the river. <laughs> Um, I think these, That's awesome. yeah, I think these little things um, are are kind of oh, absolutely, and those those are the memories, those are the stories that people want to experience, and those are the stories they're going to tell when they they leave Japan. Mm. It's not it's not usually seeing the big top sites that everybody has to see, and it's on your bucket list, so you have to take a photo. It's really having those more personal connections yeah. um, in Japan. And I'm, I'm sure you find that with the businesses that you help as well, mm -hmm. is to set up their business trip so that they really can connect to the right people and really make meaningful connections. It's not just seeing the, the business that's going to make their product or sell their product. It's really about setting up those good personal relationships, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because um, of course, it's it's not it's not enough to just kind of um, what say, guide someone around. Um, what we aim to do is like foster like real understanding. Um, again, it's that kind of like awareness. Um, um, yeah. Uh, it's actually the kind of creation of these like um, international connections, um, yeah, which which allows people to kind of like you know build on knowledge from all over the world and better improve what they have going at home or and improve their ventures abroad. But mm. yeah, absolutely. And another example which is connected to that is you helped the Irish Food Board. Um, to learn a bit more about Japan's gin and uh, spirits industry because they wanted to do a project there. And so setting up, I imagine, going to different distilleries around Japan and making the right connections for their business trip as they were doing kind of a study tour, study and connection tour. Yeah. And I, I was interested in that, particularly because, did you know Hiroshima has quite a famous gin now? Mm, I've <laughs> heard of that. What's what's the name again? Yeah, it's Saka, Sakarao, Sakara. I believe. And um, I'm often getting asked about it by visitors because it's very hard to get. And apparently you can only buy it in Hiroshima. 
um, is what I've heard. So if you go to any liquor shop in Hiroshima, you can definitely get it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's won some international awards. So that's nice. We, of course, have a very famous sake industry for many, many years. Oh, yeah. uh, we have great local craft beer. Um, but this is nice to have another local industry, local product, which is quite well known now and quite high quality that's always nice when that happens yeah um, <laughs> so the, the food and drink industry is kind of one of our um what's our specializations it's sort of one of the industries that we interact with quite a lot so i don't know like um it, it's really a thrill for me when i see when i see um like japanese products which say what like five even five years ago or eight years ago i just would have never seen in scotland um it's it's a thrill for me when i see them kind of on the shelves somewhere um yeah like um and and the japanese um like drinks industry um is is doing amazing in terms of international expansion but um specifically with the the irish food board yeah we um we helped organize um like visits to uh to various kind of locations across like um across japan um and and yeah organized uh yeah those those kind of business trips um which which was absolutely great kind of um yeah because obviously we could you know we were able to take care of the um the the difficult things which Kind of as I was saying before, which when it's in a foreign country, you may not know how to arrange certain things. You may not know how to kind of get yourself rooted. But we were able to kind of get them there, um, show them around, and kind of help them build um, build connections with the people there, so that they can um, um, learn what they need to learn. Mm. Yeah, I I know it. It sounds strange to be promoting alcohol as a sustainability focus mm. show, but. Um, the local sake industry, these local industries, they support so many traditional tradespeople. Mm -hmm. They support so many local farmers. Yeah. Um, usually they're set up in rural locations. So they're keeping the rural towns and areas alive. They're employing a lot of people outside of the cities. Mm. So there are a lot of uh, features of sustainability, definitely, for all of these yeah. local industries. I think there's something to be said about the um the the circular economy kind of in um in how the byproducts of sake are used as well. Um, there's a particular company called Furman Station, which I just a personal thing I find really interesting. Um, and um, yeah, it's as you see on our on our article, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, they they kind of uh work with um uh kind of rice products but i believe also kind of you know um sake waste products to um uh to create their products uh which are kind of you know um like organic sustainable and everything like that um and and i just find that really really interesting i think japan japan has a good culture of reusing which i think lends itself or not well reusing but also finding use for things that can be considered useless um which i think really lends itself to um to sustainability um yeah and actually definitely i love that example i had queued that up i wanted to talk <laughs> about that that was perfect um because they're using food waste right they're using the waste products of the rice industry of the mm. sake industry to make beauty products yeah 
And uh, it's such a beautiful example of, uh, like you said, there is that underlying idea, concept, idea, core concept of motainai or don't waste or, you know, so even though the day to day, you do see a lot of waste in Japan, like anywhere around the world. But if you talk to people about it, if you use those right cultural connections, you can really, you can really communicate what you're talking about and people get it because there is that core belief yeah. uh, going back generations about motainai and omotenashi and uh, good hospitality, don't waste. These are, these are things people understand, right? Yeah, it's, um, I can't remember specifically which governor it was, but um, um, I think it was in Tokyo. Um, but uh, the, I remember there was a push for, um, I, I believe there's something kind of uh, along this line in, in the article just up there, but um, there's a push for kind of reusing clothes um, uh, kind of in a way inspired by the way in which people would wear um, like traditional kimono in the past. So um, it's my understanding it was kind of people in say the Edo period, so what's the 1700s type thing, um, would uh, kind of as the kimono would kind of deteriorate they'd use every last scrap of it for different things so a certain part which say tears off or something you'd use as like underwear or something so it's kind of constantly reusing and i think that's the kind of uh at least that's an inspiration um for um some of these kind of like circular economy models um like fashion initiatives um like there's one in the the article there where you basically can send in older clothes and they'll um well not just rework but kind of reprocess them into new ones um yeah kind of keep the material in circulation um hmm. yeah that's really cool i i had an interview with a, a woman who called who's nicknamed kimono shila hmm. and she she was advocating in modern life wearing kimono all the time hmm. She said, it's fantastic. You never have to do any washing because you the kimono doesn't need to be washed all the time like your clothes do. So you just wash your underclothes mm. and you save all this water and money and time on all the washing you don't have to do. And you have these beautiful materials that you can wear for generations. Yeah. And then another paprika girl who's also been on the show talking about how you can mend it. Like you were saying, you can use the material in different ways. You can change it out if part of it is ripped or broken. Mm. So um, it's so refreshing to meet people who are uh, bringing these old, wonderful, sustainable ways, which are so stylish and high quality as well, and bringing that into a high quality modern life. I love that. Yeah, I think that's one thing that looks great. Um, great about what you do is you get to kind of meet all these people and have like really in-depth kind of discussions with them and, and really understand what drives them and also what kind of inspires them. Um, yeah, well, with, with specifically that as well, you know, that that's a good example of... Uh, the kind of thing that um, that uh, a foreign company could take inspiration from for their own kind of sustainability initiatives at home. Um, yeah, so um, it, it's great. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
specifically, there's a wee, uh, there's a little comment from um, Seichiro Manabe, um on the side that we need to know kind of about, you know, the, the market for the aging population. And Japan could be a great example. Um, I think I think that's a really good point. Um, specifically, we've had interest in smart city projects. Um, well, for a number of reasons, but but um, one one part kind of um when it comes to interest from the Japanese side is um, mobility uh, is a really big focus uh, when it comes to Japanese developers thinking about smart city projects and how to just improve the livability of cities, as we were saying earlier, livability. Um, so, I mean, that's especially relevant when it comes to the aging population, when you're not as mobile and when maybe there aren't as many uh, carers to, to help, you know, because obviously with the Shoshikoreka, the low birth rate um, aging population problem, um, a lack of kind of care workers is, is a really uh, pressing problem. Um, so yeah, um, kind of, uh, sort of, yeah. I think I think J Japanese companies are looking for um, inspiration from outside uh, uh, in order to kind of solve very Japanese problems. Um, mm, yeah, this is an an example. I think in here there is. Yeah, this is a, an interesting example you have on Tokyo Ask about mobility and using AI and uh, developing that. And I, I'm starting to see this in Japan in different places. Uh, there's a new Okonomiyaki shop open just opposite Miyajima Island. And they're using these delivery food delivery robots mm. um, probably for a few reasons. They're probably having trouble finding enough staff, but using these robots just to deliver the food, even if the staff come and take the order, it takes off a lot of pressure of having to carry heavy things. Mm -hmm. So you could imagine how this would be very useful uh, when we're talking about, you know, in old folks homes or uh, carrying heavy things and using robots for that to, to make sure the people working there don't strain themselves or get injured so there's a a lot of interesting innovation happening for sure yeah and um and of course it's it's not only um you know elderly people who suffer with mobility issues um all, all sorts of people do so um it it's honestly i actually quite like that initiative for for the way in which it it, it could um lead to um kind of you know more jobs being accessible to um, people who struggle from mobility issues. So, yeah. And I, I think it's that uh, we often, in Japan, a lot of people are saying, oh, we have a graying population. We have an aging population problem. But it's actually, it's not only Japan. This is happening all over the world. Uh, we have good medical systems. So we have people living longer. And we have a lot of great innovations in Japan that we can definitely export but we also have fantastic ideas abroad that we should import. Yeah. And that's really where uh, companies like yours really excel. Mm, mm. Thank you. Um, yeah, specifically, sorry, I just remembered a couple examples, um, but in terms of smart city initiatives kind of helping um, the elderly um, uh, or again, people with kind of general mobility issues, um, uh, there have also been, I, I can't remember specifically which city it was, I believe it was in a rural area, um, in Tohoku, possibly, 
I could be wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, there's an there's been an initiative essentially to um, kind of get self-driving taxis to help. Um, uh, well, self-driving taxis, and then also kind of uh, delivery robots to kind of pick up your order from the supermarket and take it to your door. But for for you know, older people who in rural areas, the like isolation is is a, a really a really pressing problem, obviously not just in Japan. We see it absolutely everywhere with the, the aging population. Um, yeah, it, it, it really, again, increases um, the livability through giving people mobility. Um, uh, so, so I think that's absolutely great. And that is something which, you know, people in the UK could look at and be like, look at what they're doing. Um, can we consider this? Um, mm, so yeah. if we can help convey that, that's... Uh, that would be absolutely incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of high tech solutions for sure um, for mobility and AI, but there's also a lot of great low tech innovation. Mm. Um, I've seen more of the, I call them honesty shops in Japan. Uh, the, so I know that you have these in the UK as well. I've heard from friends there. Um, so you have little roadside stands and nobody is working there. Uh, you just have a few local vegetables or local goods people have made. And then you have a little container where you put the money after. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, some some of them have cameras. So people are more on their good behavior. Um, but you're seeing more of this around Japan. And it's a nice way to give people somewhere local that they can go and get local products. Uh, visitors can stop and support the local economy as well mm. um, when there's a lot of shops open so it's very low tech uh but it it works really well in japan so it's nice to see yeah i mean community building um community building and making things better for people doesn't have to be high tech low tech solutions can be can be absolutely incredible as well and and i think that's great because it's a solution you know from and by the community for the community um uh yeah and i think that's wonderful if that can pick up some more steam in japan because because we do see it um, in um, in the UK. Obviously, there are areas or there are parts where it could be a bit difficult to to implement. But um, but but yeah, mm, I, I I think that's great. Yeah, nice. Well, I I think we all feel disconnected, right, during COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, like you were saying, you're doing most of your work online. Uh, I I've spent the last two years doing most of my work online. Um, so some of the low-tech solutions are actually connecting us better to other people and being out and about is is now so refreshing and so nice. So it, it feels like we're, we're kind of finding ways to connect again. And so it's great having technology and all these AI solutions, but it's also great just connecting with other people in a face-to-face -face way if we can do it safely, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's... Yeah, we're finding ways to connect again, but they're kind of different ways or, or ways in which we've been considering would be nice, but we're just actually taking action on them is kind of how I feel about it. Like with the pedestrianization of cities, um, nothing really happened until there was a big shock that pushed it to happen. Um, and, now, and now you see a lot of cities are just a lot more walkable and... Um, and just have a lot more people um, actually going through them, um, which I think is great. It's a shame it needed that kind of massive shock. It would be nice if 
instead of that, um, uh, you know, it could be more through kind of what we do, where you know we we help like lift the curtain of maybe uncertainty, um, and help this kind of exchange of ideas, this uh, global exchange of ideas. It'd be nice if people were able were to take kind of more inspiration from that rather than requiring a pandemic. But uh, but uh, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it's great. Mm. Yeah, lovely. Well, it's been a nice chat with you so far, Alex. Uh, we just have a few more minutes. Is there any trends that you're seeing um, for international businesses who are interested in Japan or any trends that you think in certain kinds of international businesses should think about uh, moving into Japan, like it's a good market for them? Mm. Um, <clears throat> I think... Um, so last year, last year was fairly busy for us, um, particularly towards the end. So we are seeing a lot of kind of growing interest in the Japanese market, um, which I think is great because coming out of COVID, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to be exploited. Um, and I think specifically from, specifically from say, um, the European side, Japan, um, <clears throat> I think, um, well, I suppose it's kind of the sustainability angle again, uh, which is great. But um, uh, yeah, like we are seeing a lot of kind of cooperation between Japanese and European initiatives on uh, like sustainable energy. Even like there was uh, Maruveni Europower. They've opened up an office in Glasgow um, and they're going to be working on one of the, the larger, I think it's the largest offshore wind farm in Europe. Um, um, but yeah, so I think, I think very much, um, if, if kind of European companies, um, are sort of, I don't know, if European com companies, sorry, um, really try to kind of, um, build on the current momentum of, of sustainability, um, they could they could really uh, really perform very well in the Japanese market, and then also there is obviously uh, the massive like digitization wave uh, and the fintech wave as well. That's um, that's very much uh, moving at quite speed. Um, so honestly, there there is a lot of opportunity out there. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then I think from the benefit to Japan perspective for international companies coming in one of the things we haven't really talked about which is a big hurdle for japan is the gender gap and i think this is where a lot of the international companies coming in with higher gender and equality and diversity standards are really pulling up um the standards overall in japan so that's really lovely to see and i know that the fintech uh companies are, are really treating all staff more fairly so that's that's really encouraging mm, mm. yeah yeah specifically with the uh the the gender wage gap um thing in particular there, there have been some some promising kind of movements in japan which which i think is great kind of you know a bit more of an uptake um in in people taking um paternity leave uh to kind of it's not just the wage gap but also the household um uh, labor disparity um yeah so so i think japan's been it's been doing well in in terms of kind of speeding up and progress on that but again yeah there's a lot more progress to be made 
um, yeah, yeah. So, so I really. But you know, it's it's really thanks to businesses like yours, which are helping the international companies understand the market in Japan, and and to connect and localize. I think as we need more businesses like yours who are kind of helping be the bridge on either side, right?、Mm, yeah. Thank you. I mean. I mean that's kind of that's very much in line with our concept, just promoting globalization in a positive way.、Um, so yeah, if we if we can contribute to that, which we do,、um, then then I think we're very happy and we're we're rather fulfilling our purpose.、Mm. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks for joining and sharing some of the insights from Tokyo Esk.、Uh, where's the best place to people to find out more about Tokyo Esk? So I'd、um, I'd always recommend following our LinkedIn,、uh, which is just simply Tokyoesque on LinkedIn dot、uh, com.、Um, then of course there is Tokyoesque dot com. If anyone watching would like to sign up to our newsletter, we put out kind of monthly insights, monthly updates on the Japanese market,、um, and and yeah, you can keep you can keep up to date if you'd like to to follow that. Please just go to our contact page on Tokyoesque dot com. Wonderful! Thank you so much, Alex. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Has anyone seen the guy who used to be right here? Some of us can't get over the sound of our own voices. Some of us come around just to lend an ear. Don't ever change. I love you. Just the way you are. So we're a little strange. It's all working out so far. You all seem like such nice people. Has anyone ever seen a mess like this? Some of us don't mind crying in public. Some of us are just dying to be missed. You all seem like such nice people. It's truly my pleasure to make your company. Some of our paths may diverge over the years. All of you left a certain mark on me.
it's all working out so far don't ever change i love you just the way you are so if we're a little strange it's all working out so far